Thank you to the worship team. And, uh, you know, before I get started in the message this morning, I want to recognize one person. And uh, this past December, Stephen Okamoto graduated from seminary. So come on up, Stephen. That's a big deal. I know that it is uh, not easy. And so we got a couple uh, shirts here. First of all, a uh, Azusa Pacific University alumni shirt, because you are now alumni. And, uh, and then also, just because we know that you'd love it, a Seattle Seahawks shirt. Okay, so... <laughs> uh, Wear that with pride because it'll probably be a long time before they're in the Super Bowl again. Yeah. <laughs> no, let me pray for you, Stephen. But, um, you know, we, we want to just support Stephen in uh, God's call upon his life uh, to ministry. And uh, Stephen's been with our church now as uh, the youth director uh, for a long time. He's been at the church, what, about seven years or so? And, uh, and so we've We've had a lot of time to be ministered to by him, and uh, I know he is deeply loved, and, uh, and we've had a lot of opportunity to, to see God work through him, and so we just want to recognize that and affirm God's calling upon you, Stephen, because we really do know that uh, God's hand is upon you, and he's called you into the ministry, and uh, so we're, we're really thankful for uh, you, Stephen, and all that you that God is doing through you here, I want to just uh, let's let's extend a hand and uh, bless uh, Stephen in Jesus' name. God, uh, we thank you for Stephen. We thank you for the um, perseverance that he showed and uh, being able to get his Masters of Divinity. That's a that's a big uh, project, and a lot of hard work went into that. Thank you that you strengthened him and helped him. And God, right now we just lift him up to you in Jesus' name and ask and pray that you would continue to bless and guide and direct Stephen, that you would use him to further uh, your kingdom through, uh, through him. And, uh, and so God, thank you for all the hard work that he is doing here and we are thankful for him and give you the praise and the glory and ask that you just put your hedge of protection around him and Kylie, and uh, may, they be, may they continue to be used by you and uh, bless their ministry here as they're working so hard. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Stephen. Have you ever uh, dreamt what it would be like to win the lottery? Uh, yeah, you ever? There you go. <laughs> We get an applause for that one. That's, uh, yeah. What would you do? You know what the Powerball is right now? $137 million. What would you do with $137 million? I want a new kitchen. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I'd like to upgrade the cars, but $130 million? I have no idea. Take a vacation, go to Disneyland, that'll, that'll cost you almost that much. Uh, but $137 million. Uh, 
many people that win that money, they, they say after it's all said and done that it was not the best thing that ever happened to them. In, in fact, many people who uh, win a huge lottery, uh, it, it, it ends up causing them more trouble than anything. Listen to this story. William Bud Post won a measly $16.2 million in a, in a jackpot. Uh, and this was the start of a series of unfortunate events for Post. His ex-girlfriend sued him for a share of the winnings and won. His brother hired a hitman in an effort to inherit part of the cash. Other relatives were constantly demanding money. Within a month of winning, Post filed for bankruptcy with a million dollars of debt. You sure you want to win a million? You sure you want to win the lottery? 70% of lotto winners end up filing for bankruptcy within five years. Why is that? It's because they have no clue what to do with the money. It's like we have no clue what we would do with that money. It's completely unanticipated. It comes at us so easily, so quickly, it's so undeserved that we would be caught off guard. And uh, a lot of winners oftentimes are, and so they have no idea what to do with that kind of influx of cash. Now, winning the lotto is undeserved, right? It's luck of the draw. It's the luck of the numbers. And Christian grace is undeserved. In fact, we might, call, we might define God's grace as his unmerited favor. It's something that we don't deserve. It's something that catches us. Uh, God's grace can even catch us off guard because we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. A simple definition that, I, uh, that I've heard is grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now, as Christians, we are people of grace, right? We are saved by God's grace. And so this morning, I want uh, uh, for us to ask the question, if we are people of grace who have received God's blessings that we don't deserve, what are we to do now? See, I don't want us to be caught off guard because God's grace is way better than winning the lotto. That's for sure. And, uh, and yet, what are, how are we to live as people of grace that have received so much that we don't deserve? Philippians 2, 12 and 13 is our text this morning. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 and in this passage, we're asking the, que- the question, what are we to do as people of grace with this undeserved salvation that God has given to us? How are we to live it out? How are we to live now that we have uh, God's salvation? Philippians 2, 12 through 13, open your Bibles there uh, and uh, follow along. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, just two verses today. That's what we're looking at. Paul says in Philippians 2, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See, the first thing that jumps out of the, the, uh, in the passage here to me, and even beyond the passage when we think of God's salvation, is this interplay between work 
this idea of, of work. First of all, we know that we've already said grace is unmerited favor. We don't work for our salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 has made that very clear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your, uh, from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We don't work for our salvation, but there was a work that was done on our behalf. Jesus did the work when he came to this earth and died on the cross for us. Jesus has done the work, and he bestows that that grace upon us that's that's our salvation so we don't work for our salvation but then this passage says but work out your salvation so god does the work we don't do the work but yet there is still a work at play that we do we work out our salvation for it says god works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose you see, this idea of work, I look at it as, as a dance. It's a, us in partnership with God. That God takes the lead, he takes the first step, and he does the work. And, then, and yet we respond as we dance with the Lord by working out our salvation. And again, even as we work out our salvation, it is God who works in us to... Uh, bring about those things in our lives that he wants. And so here is one of the things that I want to emphasize to us this morning. That God is opposed to earning. We don't earn our salvation, but he is not opposed to effort. God is opposed to earning, but he is not opposed to effort. And so as people of grace that have received God's unmerited favor his salvation now we learn to dance in partnership with him and so this morning i want to emphasize as we talk about this idea of now as people of grace we are to work out our salvation that's what we're going to emphasize this morning this working out of our salvation there are three dance steps that we learn three steps three ways in this passage that we work out our salvation the first thing uh, we, we see here that I want to emphasize is that we work out our salvation by grounding ourselves in who God is. See, the text says we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we never forget. The way we uh, work out our salvation is we never forget who God is or what he has done for us. We're mindful of that. We live, the idea of fear and reverence here is that we live in, uh, rev, uh, fear and trembling is that we live in reverence and, and respect and honor towards God because of who he is. We don't forget that God is a God who is holy and righteous. God is a God who is pure and, and does not just gloss over sin. That's the whole point of salvation that we have, that uh, before a living God who has created the universe, we have been found wanting. We have, we have uh, offended him by disobeying his commandments, which are based on his character. We remember who God is. We live in fear and trembling before God, remembering who he is and what he has done. Oftentimes we, in the Bible, we speak of our intimacy with God, that we can draw close to him. We remember where Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. 
And last week we talked about uh, the, the verse in Hebrews that said, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and have God's help in our time of need. See, we, we approach God's throne of grace we, uh, with confidence. We have this closeness with God, but at the same time, we don't grow, uh, we don't grow comfortable. But we remember the, uh, who God is. Now, the idea of fear and trembling is not so much that we are shaking in our boots. That's the idea that we're emphasizing when we say we can have an intimacy with God. We can have a relationship with Him. It means that we, live, that we stay humble before God and we are dependent upon Him, but not that we are scared of Him. And I think that there are some Christians that just live in fear of God as if they are scared of Him. Some churches that basically beat people into obedience to God by emphasizing that God's going to strike them dead if they don't obey God. God doesn't demand a reverence from us by seeking to crush us god brings us into obedience to him by his kindness romans uh, 2 says that uh, it is god's kindness that brings us to repentance and so i emphasize that there is as we seek god we are seeking a god who is infinite is a God who is big. He is a God who extends mercy and grace and welcomes us with open arms. But we also can't forget that this is a powerful God. This is a holy and righteous God. And that is all tied up with this idea that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So what does that mean for us practically? Practically speaking, the way we live out our salvation in this uh, regard is, excuse me, is that we uh, seek to know this infinite God. We seek to pursue Him. Seek to continue to get to know Him. Uh, I've been to Hawaii a couple times, uh, mainly pre-kid days. And, uh, and so you, many of you have been to Hawaii. Some of you were born in Hawaii. You, you know what it's like to go snorkeling in the blue waters there, right? It, uh, it's fantastic. You see all of these fish, and they're so colorful. You could never imagine to paint these fish or to draw them until you, you, you've seen them. And, and then you recognize you could study all the fish of the world, and in different places of the world, there's going to be different fish in different parts of the ocean. And you could travel all over the world, and you're never going to see them all. The ocean is huge, and it's magnificent, and it's beautiful. And God is far bigger than that. And so our challenge, if we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, means that we keep on seeking God. We keep on seeking to get to know God. What's that going to look like for you? Well, for some of you, I think it's, it's just rededicating ourselves to study God's Word, to study the Scriptures. Maybe it, is, uh, to, maybe it is to find a good, close Christian friend that can hold you accountable to to grow in your sanctification. It is to serve the Lord in ministry. It is to read some good Christian books that are going to challenge you. It's to get in a life group. It's, it's something that's going to spur you on to know God more. That is part of how we work out our salvation. We're constantly in pursuit of getting to know this infinite God. And as long as we do, we will never come to the end of uh, our knowledge of God's greatness and His beauty. That's part of how we work out our salvation. 
is we ground ourselves in who God is. The second thing that I want to point out here in this passage is we work out our salvation by extending to others what you have received in salvation. You see, God has given us so much in salvation that we work it out by extending that to others. The first word that is used here in verse 2 is therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what's the therefore therefore, right? It points back to something. And what it points back to is the passage that we looked at last week. It points back to the example of Christ. You should have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And it looks at his example. And we talked about this last week. It looks at the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. When we talked about the humiliation of Christ, we notice that in this passage in Philippians 2, it has seven downward steps. And the, and the lowest point of Christ's humiliation is what? Even death on a cross. And the high point of his exaltation is that one day every knee will bow in heaven on earth and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, the, uh, so what this is referring back to is God's salvation and his example to us. And so in other words, one of the ways that we work out our salvation is by extending to others what God has given to us in salvation. Think of God's mercy and his grace, his compassion and kindness. These are the things that we ought to give to others. How silly it is when we hold grudges against people and, and don't forgive for long periods of time when Christ was so quick to forgive us. Think of the love that, that God extended to us how silly it is that we don't go out of our way to try to love others. Jesus, uh, when he was on earth, he told this parable. Jesus was a math master storyteller. And in this particular story, there is a king who wants to settle his debts with his servants. Many people have owed him money. And one servant comes in before the king and owes him an astronomical amount, millions of dollars. In fact, Jesus says in the, in the parable that this servant, uh, the king could have demanded that he be uh, sold into slavery to work off his debt, not only him, but his wife and his kids as well, and they would not work it off for the rest of their lives. And so Jesus says uh, that the servant goes in be, before the king and basically gets down on his hands and knees and begins to beg, have mercy on me, I'm sorry, I can't pay it back. And it says that the king had pity on him and cancel all his debt, tore up the note, threw it in the fire, said, you don't owe me a cent more, even though he owed him so much. The servant is, uh, leaves the king's palace, and as he's walking home, he meets upon, on the street somebody that owed him like 20 bucks. And Jesus says he took him by the collar and began to choke him. He said, pay me your debt right now! Now the word gets back to the king, and the king is obviously furious. Uh, has the servant arrested and thrown into jail. And the point of Jesus' parable is this. You've been treated with so much kindness from God, forgiven all of your sins, and given far more than you can deserve. You ought to extend that kind of grace to others as well. You see, when we think of God's forgiveness towards us, 
and his love towards us, his compassion towards us, who is it that you could give that kind of love and compassion towards? And then I want to emphasize one more thing before we move on to the final point. And, and when I think of God's salvation, I think of how God doesn't give up on us easy, right? Either before we have, uh, were saved or even after we are saved, how many of us have run from the Lord and, uh, and gone astray, and yet God didn't give up on us? He kept coming after us to draw us to himself. One old theologian said that, uh, called God the hound dog of heaven. He just keeps chasing us down. And I want to offer that to us as an application as well when it comes to working out our salvation. To not give up on others. Some of you have been praying for a loved one for years. Keep praying. Some of you have been trying to witness to a friend or to someone you care about, and you, you grow weary in seeking out their salvation. Don't give up. Remember the perseverance of God, how God chased you down. And may we not be too quick to, uh, to give up. So the first way we work out our salvation is to ground ourselves in who God is. The second way is to extend to others what we have received in salvation. And the third way we work out our salvation in this passage we see uh, is this, by finding God's purpose and plan for us in salvation. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God's got purposes and plans for your life. Now isn't that an amazing thought? That the God of the universe, the one that simply by speaking has created uh, all the stars and the heavens and, and everything that we have, that God looks upon you and says, I got something in mind for you to do. That's exciting. Whoever said this Christianity thing was boring had no idea what they were talking about. Whoever said church was boring doesn't know the real and living God. This is exciting that God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has exciting things for us to do. And you may say, but I have no idea what that is. I don't know what God has called me to do. I don't know what his plans are and purposes are. Well, let me give us three things to th think about as you think about God's plans and purposes for you. First of all, I know that part of God's plan includes the local church. That's part of his mission. With all its failures and flaws and all, and, and, and you know, we don't got everything messed up, but I, knew, but I do know that part of God's plan to advance his kingdom and to spread his good news of salvation is West Covina Christian Church. Now, that's an amazing thought, and that might sound like a bold statement, but that's the truth. Part of what I want to encourage all of us to do is find a way to serve God even here in the church. We think of the children and the youth and the education center and the door-to-door -door ministry and the missions committee and the mercy and justice committee, and, the, and I need prayer counselors right now, and we got, always need greeters and all of these things, the list could go on. And I admit, we're not very good at recruiting volunteers. So part of this is going to fall on you. 
take the initiative. Come and talk to me or Pastor Darren or Stephen or someone else. Go to the Connection Central booth because part of what God's will is is for you to be involved in this church. And that's a wonderful thing. That's, that's one thing. The second thing I would say is simply look at the opportunities that God has given around, uh, that God has given you just in your everyday life. There are people that you know and interact with on a daily basis who don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And you might be the best person to share God's love with them. Now you might think, uh, I don't have any great uh, opportunities to, uh, to do God's will. You've got opportunities every day all around you. The prayer that should uh, roll off your tongue when your feet hit the floor in the morning is, God, help me to see where you're at work around me. Help me to be used by you. Open up the doors of opportunity. Because you've got doors all around you. That's part of what it means to work out God's salvation, to be God's hands and feet to the people around you, all around you. The opportunities that God has given you. You've got talents and abilities and gifts and passions. How can those things be used for the uh, for the kingdom of God. And then the third thing and the last thing I would say is that part of the way we work out God's salvation is by sharing God's salvation with others. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with someone who received God into their life and became a Christian. If you've had that opportunity, you know there's no thrill like it. I've had that opportunity to, to do that with others, my kids included. And it just gets you so excited. Talk about the excitement of living as a Christian. To know that God used you to change that person for all eternity. Look for opportunities to share the gospel with others. These are ways that we can work out our salvation. You know, with all this, all this talk of workout. It reminds me of working out physically, right? I'm, I don't, uh, some of you, I won't, I won't look for a, a show of hands, but some of you are members of a gym. I used to be a member of a fitness gym, and then I dropped my membership because I was paying a monthly fee and I never went, <laughs> right? Someone told me of all the gym memberships that are in America, which there's millions of them, 80% of people don't use them regularly. You see, so many people got opportunity to work out, but they don't work out. And the same could be said for us spiritually. We've been given an opportunity to live with Christ and to be used by Him. But are we working out our salvation? We've got the gym membership, but we're not working out. And so here's what I want to do before we turn our attention to communion today is I just want to give you an opportunity to re be real specific in your own application. I want you to think of a way, because God is always calling us into something deeper, right? Yeah, I want you to think of, uh, ask the Lord, what is the, what's the next step I'm to take? Like, you know, we go back to that analogy of a dance step. God, uh, you're leading me. Uh, how do I step in, in, uh, in, parallel to the way that you're moving in my life. What are you calling me to? 
For some of you, it means right now, this morning, you're going to make up your mind to say, I'm going to pursue God more. I'm going to read His Word. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, get in a Bible study group. I'm going, to, I'm going to get this Christian book that I know is going to challenge me. You're going to pursue God more. Some of you, uh, you know right now, it is, I need to, to, to call up this person. I need to Go out of my way to help this person in need. Show God's love. God's calling you to work out your salvation by, ex- by extending God's love to someone else in the way that God has extended it to you. And, and maybe it is to, to pray about that God's purpose and plan in your life. And you just put it before the Lord. In fact, we're going to have a few minutes here uh, in the quietness of communion, you got opportunity to pray this morning. Don't leave this room until you've made up your mind. I'm a, I'm a child of grace. I've been saved by God's grace. Now, how am I going to work out my salvation? What's the next step I'm going to take? I want you to have an application in mind today before uh, we leave this sanctuary. So what is God calling you to? To work out your salvation. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just pause and we want to, first of all, thank you for the gift of salvation that you have given us. God, we are people of grace. It is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, God. And God, I thank you for the work that you have done in our lives. And if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I pray that today might be the day of salvation, that they might place their faith and their trust in you and ask you to come into their lives. And God, for those of us that have received you as our Savior and Lord, we pray that you would Speak to us right now in the quietness of this sanctuary. Just help us to know what the next step for us to take is that, that we wouldn't be caught off guard by our, in our grace, but that you would help us to know what the next step is for us to work out our salvation. In fact, I lift up every person here right now and I pray that you would speak to them and put a thought into their mind put an emotion into their heart that they might know what it is that you would have them to do and that you might uh, give them the desire to do it. For as this passage says, it is God who is at work in, in us to both will and to act according to your good purpose. So God, I pray that you would give us both the understanding and the will and the emotion and the heart to do it. And God, as we have these thoughts now in our minds, God, I pray for each person that you would help them, that you would empower them and strengthen them to live out the salvation that you have worked in them. God, as we turn our attention now to the communion table, we recognize that all of this is an act of grace. It is because of Jesus' work on the cross that his body was broken and his blood was shed so that we can have salvation, that we can have a relationship with you. 
And God, I pray that as we have this communion uh, together today, that it would be a reminder that we would be grounding ourselves in who you are and what you have done for us. And God, may you touch our hearts. May you just touch our hearts again with your love, with your kindness, with your compassion, and with your grace. And God, may we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to uh, take your communion elements. And uh, if you don't have your communion elements here, just hold up your hand real high. And that's okay. Keep it up. And uh, the ushers will come around and uh, make sure that you have uh, your communion elements. You know, the Bible is real clear that when we take uh, communion, it is in remembrance of what God has done for us. We do this not to, like we've said, to earn our salvation. This is not another check in the box. We do this as an act of worship, remembering that uh, God has done all of this for us, and we want to ground ourselves in who He is and what He has done for us. If you are here this morning and you haven't received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I just want to encourage you to... to, uh, to understand what we're doing here and what this symbolizes. That this uh, little cracker represents Jesus' body. And this grape juice that is in this cup represents his blood. If you are here this morning and you're not ready to make that decision, I just encourage you to, to um, let, uh, use this as an opportunity to pray, uh, to to. Uh, not to partake of the elements. But maybe you are here and you say, I've never uh, made that decision, but I'm ready. It only takes a moment. By the time we're ready to eat this uh, today, you can be saved and have your uh, life changed for all eternity. All it it takes is to, to place your dependence upon the Lord and ask God to forgive your sins and give your life to him and ask him to come into your life for you to live for him. That now he is not only your savior, but he's your Lord as well. He, you're going to live for him. Let's take a few minutes before we uh, take this together to just be quiet before the Lord. I encourage you to use this as a time of both prayer and remembrance. Think about the love of God that's been shown to you through his son, Jesus. Let's go before the Lord in prayer.
now with the cracker in your hands, we hear God's word. Jesus said, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. And now we take the cup. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God's word goes on to say, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to sing our final song together now, and as we do, uh, I invite the prayer counselors to come forward. Some of you are here this morning, and you'd love to just receive prayer. And uh, it could be about something that's going on in your life that you'd like God's, uh, you'd like God to pray about that for you. It could be uh, simply that you, you just want to, you don't even know what you want to pray for, but you just know that it would be a blessing to have someone lift you up into God's presence. God's word says that where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there with them. And so when you come forward and you gather with a prayer counselor, you know, it's, it's two, and that's all that it takes. And Jesus comes and he meets with you. We're not called to live this Christian life on our own. In fact, if we try to do that, it is a losing battle. We are, we have, God has given us the family of God. We have brothers and sisters together. And we are, uh, we are given the blessing and the opportunity to pray for one another and to encourage one another. And so I want to encourage you to take this opportunity to receive prayer. We're going to all stand and sing uh, the final song together. And, uh, and as we do, let us sing to the Lord. Let me pray for us one more time. Father God, we thank you that we have this opportunity to worship you because you are a God who is worthy to be worshipped. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent the, your son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross for us. As we've just got done remembering that, we thank you that for all that you have done for us. And we pray that as we sing this final song to you, would be pleased with our worship, that it would be received into your ears as a, a sacrifice of praise that is pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.